I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot. Like devotion, she sails the bitter ocean. If it wasn't for lovesick sailors, there'd be nothing left but flotsam. Singing, why, me oh my, is there a better man than I? I hope you find your way back home before you're lying high and dry. I hope you find your way back home before you die. This is episode one of season two of Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan from Markham, Ontario, Canada, making his third appearance on the show, Michael Howitt. Michael, welcome back to the show. Great. Thanks so much for having me back, Michael. I've listened to every single podcast so far, so a lot of great insights into uh, Gordon's songs. It's really great to listen to, so thanks so much for having me back. Well, it's only possible because of guests like yourself, so thank you for being here. Now, Michael, you were in Aurelia, Ontario. That's Gordon's uh, birthplace not long ago. Can you tell us about that little adventure? Yeah, so I wasn't fully... It didn't fully disclose to my wife what my plans were. I just said, well, let's, how about we take a drive to Aurelia because it's only about an hour and a half from where we live. So she was up for that. We've been to Aurelia before. It's a nice little town. But I guess when she seen me put on my Lightfoot t-shirt, maybe she got suspicious. So it was kind of a Lightfoot bucket list thing for me. So we uh, we stopped by the Aurelia Opera House. That's where his bust is now. And I guess the Opera House is where he sang when he was much younger. And then we went to um, the family homestead on Harvey Street. And then we drove off to an east end of Aurelia's, I don't know if it's called Tuthole Park or Tuthole Park, but that's where um, the Mariposa Folk Festival is now. And uh, there's a golden leaf sculpture there, which is Lightfoot sitting cross-legged with his six-string guitar. And there's kind of a circle of branches above him with several leaves on each leaf. There's a... Um, at the picture of different songs. So there's 24 leaves altogether, 24 different songs. And then there's two sister statues close by. One is directly of the sterile enough. There is the uh, Black Day of July. So that was my bucket list that uh, my wife was kind of take pictures of me there. And the only thing we missed was the Lightfoot Trail. There was a Lightfoot walking trail a little bit to the west we didn't get to, but that'll be, I guess, on our bucket list next time. So it was a win-win. My wife had a good day. I had a good day. So. <laughs> wow. I think I'm going to have to fly up to Ontario and do the same kind of thing. Just take a weekend just to go see the, the all the Lightfoot Canadiana that you have there. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. Like, Aurelia is such a beautiful town. It's kind of right between Lake Simcoe and Lake Kutuching and the Tuval Park. The Golden Leaves sculpture is right by the water. So it's such a beautiful setting. There's beautiful trees there. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great setting. And apparently Gordon used to go there when he was, when he was a kid. So it's a, it's a great setting. It's a beautiful town. Awesome. 
Well, today we're talking about High and Dry from Sundown, which was Lightfoot's album that came out in 1974. It was certainly an album that broadened his audience to the European market. I wanted to know, why did you want to talk about this song in particular? Well, with this song, I, I was a huge fan of the album. Like, I don't know how many times I've listened to the album, probably hundred or so times. Like, there's not a weak song in the album. And this particular song, I just thought it's upbeat. I probably heard it first when I was 15 years old. So I just thought it was kind of like a seafaring song. And, and I kind of left it that, but. As I've gotten older, this kind of look at the lyrics and they mean something to me now that they didn't before. So it's, it's kind of grown on me. So that's kind of why I picked the song because it's the metamorphosis has went through in my mind over the years. It's a good way of saying it. I think Gordon has referred to it as a toe tapper. It's got a familiar theme for him, which is sailing um, or yeah. all things maritime. And yeah. it also talks about one of his favorite topics ever, which of course is women. Stephen Stills once said that uh, men could do three things with women. They could love them, they could suffer for them, or they could create great art out of them. <laughs> and uh, I think this is probably an example of the third grouping yeah. there. It's hard to tell if this is a song that's about Kathy Smith, although the theme of not being able to hold on to someone certainly fits. And of course, the title track of the album is about Kathy Smith. Do you have any angle on who in particular the song is about, or is it about any particular person at all? To me, it's it's kind of a sister song, almost a sundown. So it could be about Kathy Smith or maybe just kind of based on experiences with other women or whatever. But I very much think that it could be about Kathy Smith, as you said, or, or, or another relationship in the past. Do you have a particular anecdote about the song or a personal connection to it or how it's affected your life in any way? This song of tickers, not really, but, uh, but again, it's just something because the song has changed for me over the years. That's why I want to talk about it, but nothing in particular with this song itself. For me, I don't have the same kind of emotional connection to it. Like you were saying, I mean, there are others that mean much more to me, but I rediscovered Gordon Lightfoot with this song. He had been sort of a peripheral presence in my life after my son was born. And one evening I was giving my son a bath. He couldn't have been more than a year old, but I had my Pandora going on my phone. And while it was going, this song came up and I had never heard High and Dry before. And so for me, this was kind of the, my reconnection to the man's music. So it was really kind of fun, you know, to see that. So what's the best setting for you to listen to this song? Or is there one particular time of day or place or activity that really fits well for you when listening to this? But just because the maritime nature, I've always thought in a boat on a lake or, you know, up at a cottage or driving in the countryside, like somewhere out of the city, uh, ideally by, by the water somewhere, because it's kind of a, a seafaring type song. I, I kind of think that it would be great to listen to it on the beach, although yeah. it's certainly not stereotypical beach music, but to be near the water or maybe driving by the ocean uh, might even be better. Like for me, that would be up Highway 1 on the coast of California. We'll be right back to our conversation with Michael Howitt about High and Dry, but first a word from one of our podcast partners. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the 
Mostly Folk podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Are you a fan of true crime, cults, conspiracies, and all things sinister? Then tune in with me, your host Steph, every week for a new episode of the Sinister Story Hour. You can find the Sinister Story Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, well, let's talk about the lyrics a little bit. With ladylike devotion, she sails the bitter ocean. If it wasn't for lovesick sailors, there'd be nothing left but flotsam. There's not a lot of premise here. And he's talking about, obviously, sailors refer to their ships as she. So he might be talking about a boat. So that's another possibility for me. This is not a a human female that he's speaking to or speaking about. It's maybe about a sailing ship. And then also the fact that the sailors are lovesick. And I wonder... Are they just hooked on sailing because that's the only thing that gives them fulfillment? Or are they being seduced by sirens? There's not a whole lot of context set for that first verse. So I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I think, again, one of the reasons I picked this song, I think it's like Gordon does such a great job of, with his lyrics, he doesn't spell things out. He kind of lays down a story or paints a picture and leaves it up to the listener to interpret maybe a way that applies to them. So... Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about this song is it's open to interpretation. So I always thought that in my mind, the, sh- the ship is a woman, perhaps like a, a, a girlfriend. So she's sailing the bitter ocean. She's out there in life, which can be uh, bitter at times. So she's out there sailing the bitter ocean. And if it wasn't for lovesick sailors, it'd be nothing left but flotsam. So she's out there and maybe seeking attention those lovesick sailors that's what's keeping her going that if it wasn't for the attention she's getting from the lovesick sailors there'd be nothing left but flotsam so i had to look up flotsam when i was younger because i didn't know what it was but i guess it's debris from a shipwreck so it's always thought it's a woman she's the ship she's sailing the bitter ocean and uh, the lovesick sailors are getting her attention if it wasn't for that attention she'd be a shipwreck so that's kind of the way i took that with those lines so this is a boy crazy girl, um, <laughs> one way of looking at it. Singing, why, me oh my, is there a better man than I? I hope you find your way back home before you're lying high and dry. I hope you find your way back home before you die. So he seems, seems like he hopes that this ship never does run aground or wreck or is put into dry dock. But I wonder about the idea of dying is that a metaphor that sailors use for uh, shipwrecks or is that base? Is he just basically substituting the idea of death for being a shipwreck? Yeah, that part I'm not sure of. I, I kind of, these lovesick sailors, they're the ones who are singing, why me, oh my, is there a better man than I? So they're kind of 
competing for her attention, like I'm better than everybody else. So they're the ones who are kind of singing that, that line. And then the narrator comes back in saying, I, I hope you find your way back home before you're lying high and dry. And he's kind of talking to the woman here, change your ways before it's too late. I hope you find your way back home before you die. So, you know, I don't think it's death per se, but maybe death of the spirit type thing. It does make me wonder, you know, what does home mean? Find your way back to the person you were meant to be or find your way back to the place where you're going to be satisfied with yourself and you don't have to be seeking the attention of men. You know, yes. he's never clear about that. But I really like the way that the first sentence of the chorus is one set of voices and then the narrator yeah. is the rest of the chorus. So I like your yeah. uh, analysis of that. Yeah, I think home is finding peace. Like, hope you find your way back home. Hope you find your peace before it's too late type thing. Her sails billow like bubbles, although when you listen to the recording, it almost sounds like her sails below like bubbles. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I thought, why would you have your sails below? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Is the boat upside down or something? While you sip your daily doubles and daily doubles, I've other than watching Jeopardy, I've always thought of daily doubles would being uh, drinks and the sails look like bubbles because they're full of wind. I mean, daily doubles, yeah. are those supposed to be alcoholic beverages? It's almost like I can see her walking into a bar. So she's done up to the nines. She's made out. She, she just looks fantastic. And she goes into the bar and here these sailors are sipping their their daily doubles. And uh, so that's kind of the, the setting I see in my mind. Yeah. So she's become the focus point for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, having your sails out like that, okay, means that, yes. you know, she's just in full, in rare form. You know, yeah, like exactly. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. If she wasn't so fond of the weather, she might give the deckhands trouble. And I had trouble with this one. Okay. If she wasn't so fond of the weather, I guess the idea is, I mean, is she, is there supposed to be warm weather or something? What do you think he's talking about here? If she didn't like that environment. So I just see her again in the bar there. If she didn't like the environment, she would give the men there all sorts of trouble, but she is fond of the, of the weather. She is fond of the environment. She likes the attention. So then she isn't going to give them trouble. She's going to let them give them their attention. So she enjoys that environment, gaining the attention. Otherwise, she would rebuke them and tell them to get lost type thing. Okay. So the weather is not specific to the physical climate. It's just the environment of the bar or the environment of being womanized. Yeah, that's the way I, I took it. But again, there's all sorts of different ways to interpret this. Lightfoot does such a great job of opening the door of for different interpretations. Yeah, and this one is especially rich with possible interpretations. Yeah, though, yeah. It's, um, and we'll talk more about, you know, just the overall quality of the song a little later. And now a word from some of the folks who keep us on the air. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One day when I grew older, I found I could not hold her. I love this because he's talking about possessing her or, yeah. you know, keeping her under wraps, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. it also, you hear about 
sailors or pilots saying, I can't hold her, I can't hold her, she's out of my control. And they say that when they're flying their plane or sailing their ship. And so the metaphor here is that she's looking for a new man, even though maybe she's been looking for a new man the whole time. But now he realizes at a certain age, maybe he's too old for her, or maybe she just realizes I'm bored with you. You're old, you're boring, you're tired. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's a matter of him getting older, I guess, maybe getting tired of playing the game type thing, or, you know, she's just too much for him now, so <laughs> mm-hmm. he couldn't hold her any, any longer. She took on a fine young skipper who soon ran her up on a boulder, meaning she now has had her heart broken, which is the yeah. exact thing that he hoped would never happen to her. But this fine young skipper, this guy who is younger than the narrator is, has now destroyed her life in some way. And yet he's still coming back to the chorus saying, I hope you find your way back home. So there's no bitterness involved here. Yeah, he's, it seems to be a theme, a lot of Lightfoot songs that it's a relationship that's not whole, but he still cares about the person. So yeah, so even though um, she's left for a possibly younger man and he's runner up on a boulder and like ruined her life to a certain extent, the narrator is still saying, I still hope you find your way back home before it's too late type thing. He's had a lot of songs where he's certainly been hurt in love, but there's not a whole lot of anger or rage at the women that he's been involved with. And certainly Kathy Smith. I mean, I think it's probably safe to say that he has always loved Kathy Smith, although she herself came to a very ignominious end and certainly had a lot of trouble in her life. And then the fourth verse, I mean, he goes into Lady Barbers and Long John Silver, which to me, I think he's just having fun. (laughs) But there was one interesting reference. He uses the term pleasures of the harbor. And I think this is kind of a nod to his friend Phil Oaks. Phil and Lightfoot were friends, and Phil wrote up Lightfoot in the Village Voice, a very, very nice piece back in 1964, 1965. And Pleasures of the Harbor was... Phil Oaks's album in 1967, where he gets away from topical songs, from protest songs, and he's doing his own more personal songwriting. Now, his popularity declined after that, but I can't help but think that Gordon must have taken that as sort of a shout out to Phil Oaks. Are you familiar with either Oaks or about the relationship between the two of them? I didn't know about the uh, the Phil Oaks piece, The Pleasures of the Harbor, but um, I think you're bang on. Like it's, I guess there's an album by that name and then there's a song by that name and the song is about uh, lonely sailors seeking human comfort and connection while in port. So I thought that meshes perfectly with Lightfoot here that uh, it's such a clever lyric, like Pleasures of the Harbor, like for this song, it, like in a way it's, this lyrics are a little bit tongue in cheek, but also a little a little bit biting, but not overly so. So I think Pleasures of the Harbor is just, I think he definitely borrowed it from Phil Oaks. And the fact he covered his Phil Oaks song changes on his debut album, I think you're, you're definitely right there. And especially what Phil Oaks' song is about, when he says the Pleasures of the Harbor don't include the Lady Barber, if the Pleasures of the Harbor, these sailors seeking human comfort connection, like it's almost like a, the bar scene again or whatever. And I guess when you think of 
women who cut women's hair are usually referred to as hairdressers, while those who cut men's hair are sometimes referred to as lady barbers. So here you have the pleasures of the harbor don't include a lady barber. So the subject of the song, she's looking for the attention of men, lady barbers look after the servicemen. So the subject of the song is no longer part of the pleasures of the harbor anymore because she's out of the picture because she's been run up in a boulder earlier in the last verse. Okay, so this so, is kind of a, a way of wrapping up the story. I, I think so, yeah. That she's not around anymore, at least not in the same way. Yeah. Well, the song did appear on Sundown, as we said, which was his 10th album. Um, but then it was also re-recorded on Gord's Gold 2, which came out in 1988. Now, this was an album that had a whole lot of songs that Gordon re-recorded. And I'm wondering if you've listened to both versions. Have you played them both back to back? Do you have any particular thoughts on them? Well, Scores Gold Volume 1, the remake he did of United Artists recordings, I think for each and every one, they're all superior to the United Artists recordings. It, it did such a good job. Scores Gold 2, I found that the original recordings were so good that I can't think of any of the, of the remakes that I prefer over the originals. So I definitely prefer the one on the... Uh, the original Sundown album, I just felt it was simpler. It was more of a seafaring type song, a little bit less instrumentation, I think, than the remake. So uh, yeah, I definitely prefer the Sundown version. What is your favorite musical aspect of the song? Yeah, as you said, and as Gordon would say, it's definitely toe tapper and, uh, you know, the vocal is just effortless and Jim Gordon's percussion just seemed perfect. Like, they, you know, no drums. I think they're more like knee slaps, I think, which suit the song perfectly and and the bass line is perfect on that and the harmony vocal by kathy smith is actually very tasteful she's a very good singer you know that's what i like about the about the song you know just so well done it is an upbeat song as i said it's bright it's cheerful although it's talking about heartbreak basically but it doesn't try to get too complicated there was no unnecessary instrumentation, like you said. There wasn't anything there that I was listening to and thought, you didn't need to put that in. You know, yeah. that didn't that it didn't belong. You were trying to get too ostentatious about it. But everything there was beautifully produced, yeah. like the rest of the album. So it makes perfect sense. The people who played on this... And you and I have done some research on this together. Lightfoot did the six-string guitar on that one. Red was playing other acoustic guitars on it. John Stockfish was playing bass. So this is the original trio from the early days. And they're yeah, back so together. Cool. Um, yeah. By that time, I think, well, I know Stockfish had left. So Rick Haynes was the regular bass player. So I don't know what Stockfish was doing there. Jim Gordon was playing percussion. There was no drums here. Yeah. And then Kathy Smith, you had mentioned, and she was a great singer and she did it very yeah. tastefully. The thing yeah, that's beautiful, the story that I remember hearing about Kathy Smith is that he took her out on tour with him. And one of the places they played was West Point. So you have all these young men, military cadets who probably haven't seen a woman in two or three months. And she goes out there to sing with Gordon and then she leaves the stage either because she wasn't needed anymore. Maybe she just came out for the one song and all the cadets are saying, bring back the girl, bring back the girl. <laughs> and I'm sure he wasn't real happy about that. No, definitely not. There's another anecdote I had about uh, 
her harmony vocals. Uh, I'm a huge Mary McLaughlin fan. Mary McLaughlin was one of Gordon's contemporaries. They were good friends, but Mary McLaughlin never reached, I guess, the widespread appeal that Gordon Lightfoot did, but he, he, he was very popular here in Canada. So at that time, they were neighbors. That The two of them lived uh, at 50 Alexander Street. They were renting there. And Kathy Smith did sing harmony on one of the songs he was recording on a new album. The track was, I guess, ironically called Do You Dream of Being Somebody, which seemed that was what Kathy Smith was uh, looking for you know, during those years. But Mary McLaughlin and Lightfoot, although they were, they were friends, they were competitors. So according to the, the Jennings book and also Mary McLaughlin's autobiography that Gordon viewed this as the ultimate betrayal, like Kathy Smith's scene on somebody else's album. So apparently this was, well, maybe not the beginning of the end, but kind of the last straw in their relationship. So things kind of unwound after that. But she was a great singer and she, if she wanted to pursue that, she probably could have done really well at it. But I guess she wasn't something she didn't want to pursue just that. So. Yeah, when she got sidetracked with all sorts of things that we won't yeah. you know, necessarily go into right now. The interesting thing for me when I think about this song, which is really a tasty little song, but yeah. he's only played it in concert 20 times. And the most recent one was in 1987. He's played it, started it in March of 1974. So while he's promoting Sundown, I think Sundown had been out for about a month by that time. Yeah. And then after 1987, he has never sung it since. And I'm wondering, do you think he stopped singing it because it was too close to the bone because it reminded him too much of Kathy or because the song is too much of a lightweight? Why do you think he quit singing it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like it's um, like you look at the album Sundown, like every song is great on it. So it, I think it's unfair to say it's a lightweight song. But when you look at the other songs and you look at his catalog, the number of songs he's got to pick from. I guess you can see why this wouldn't be played all that much, but it's a you know peppy little song, and it's too bad it's kind of been overlooked over the years. But uh, I'm not sure if it just brings back bad feelings about Kathy Smith, or he just doesn't feel strong enough to play. And the fact it wasn't on his 1999 songbook box set too is kind of disappointing. I thought it could have made the cut there, but I guess he's just got so many great songs to choose from. He can't play everybody's favorite, I guess. So. No, although I kind of wish that he would open a concert with this song because I think it just, yeah. it's a great way of opening and welcoming people. It's an upbeat song, like I've said. Yes. I think it could have been a single and I think it would have sold yes. if it had been a single. Yeah. We yeah. know, of course, that the album went to number one in Canada, went to number one in the US, 13 in Australia, 45 in the UK. There's only been one cover of it. Um, there's a band called Dog is Blue and they did that on a record called Turning Back the Pages of My Sweet Shattered Dreams, a tribute to Gordon Lightfoot, which was on the Hero Hill label. And that came out in 2011. I suppose what I want to know is, why do you think more people haven't covered it? I haven't heard that covered by Dog is Blue. And I, I don't know, it's a mystery to me, like why it hasn't been covered by other artists, especially here in Canada. It's, it's a real mystery to me. I don't know why it's flown on the radar, but yeah, it's a good question. I don't have an answer for it. Is there anybody that you would like to hear try this, either for modern music or contemporaries of Gordon's? I was thinking about artists here in Canada. Maybe uh, they're not that well known in, in the States, but uh, you know, I think of Celtic folk type artists here in Canada. Like there, there was a group called Great Big C. The group's not around anymore, but the lead singer Alan Doyle still touring as kind of a Celtic folk rock. So I can hear 
him doing it. He's from Newfoundland and there's the Rankin family out of Nova Scotia that, you know, there's the same type Celtic fiddle music type thing. I can hear fiddles on this song, like a, kind of like a Celtic type maritime song. And, and then there's another group, the Leahy family from Ontario that I can hear doing it, the same type of music. And uh, Shania Twain had a hit song, Don't Be Stupid. And they played on that. So if you watch them on YouTube, it's a live version. It's Leahy that's kind of doing the, the film type stuff there. You brought up some great ideas and I'd never thought of it as being a Celtic song, but I can hear it being done by bands that play that genre of music. I mean, kind of like yeah. Clancy Brothers brought forward 60 years or something okay. like that. For me, this is also, it's yacht rock in the best possible sense of the word. Okay. And I don't mean that Jimmy Buffett would be able to get away with it, although he's done others of Lightfoot songs, but I would love yeah. to hear Firefall have done this or Loggins and Messina. Groups like that, I think would be really kind of cool. So let me, as we're sort of winding down here, I've got a slightly different question for you than in previous episodes. If you could sit in and observe the recording and production of any Gordon Lightfoot album, so just being a fly on the wall, which one yeah. would you choose and why? I've kind of got two answers. I've got an album and I got a single. So the album would probably be Gord's Gold when they redid the United Artists songs, because I, I think it'd be great to be in the room and just hear how the band deals with these great songs and how do we try to make them better. Like they're great songs to start with. So I just would like to be in the room and just hear the process. Like if there's a collaboration, you know, between Lightfoot in the band, or is it all Lightfoot that pretty much makes the decisions? But it'd be really interesting to see how they would go about making those songs better on, like, there's United Artists songs on, on Gord's Goal. And the second one would be it's just a single, but just when you, you heard the uh, process behind when they recorded Reckoning with Gerald, like they did at first take. And I guess the way Barry Keane says in the, uh, the documentary, like Gordon just said, give me the nod when you're ready to come in. So it would have been so cool to be, you know, on that recording the first time the group has basically played it together and just to watch how the band picked up the ball and ran with it and then see Gordon give Barry Keane the nod and then Barry Keane come in with the jungle fill. Like that would have been so cool. The chemistry must have been just absolutely amazing in the room that particular day. Well, Michael, where can people find you online? People can find me. I'm pretty active on the Lightfoot Facebook groups. I love all the people there on Instagram, Michael underscore Howard, and on YouTube, Michael Howard Music. So I've got uh, 57 Lightfoot covers there so far. I'm working on more, but he's uh, definitely my, my number one influence. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. This is a great way to kick off our second season and I hope to have you back again real soon. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Michael. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your listening matter. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com. I'd like to make a special request for you to visit my Patreon page. I love this show so much and I want to keep it going, and you're in a position to help please head over to www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. A dollar or two a month is all I ask. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com.
Our next episode will feature Gary Luck from Australia, and he and I will be discussing Gordon's song Dreamland in either the first or the second week of October. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell. We'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.